0: Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com.
3: And welcome back to Overnight America. Joining us for this half hour is a legal analyst, also author of the book called Postgate, How the Washington Post betrayed Deep Throat, covered up Watergate, and began today's partisan advocacy journalism. John O'Connor, thanks for coming on to KMOX. Great to be here, Brian. It's good to have you back. I enjoyed our conversation last time. It seems like it's been a few years, but we're looking at some of the different (laughs) principles of Postgate. And how relevant they continue to be in today's modern world when you talk about relationships that people have with different news agencies. But then you even throw in all of the news about big tech and how that plays into its censorship. Um, it's just amazing how we keep seeing this go further down the line. But this is something that you've witnessed when it comes to credible news organizations. Washington Post definitely made themselves a credited, uh, credible news organization after the whole Watergate thing. But that wasn't the whole story. And you start to realize... Wait a minute. Uh, it's probably like this uh, across the board.
4: Well, that's right. Uh, they made themselves a credible news organization, but they had monopoly power. And what's most important about Watergate was that they were given credit, the Post was, for getting rid of Nixon, credit or blame. Uh, and we know now uh, through my book that everything that, that, that their reporting was fraudulent. But what's most important about it is that they gained political power, that they were considered to be a political power. And when young people after that went into journalism, uh, reporters before this had been sort of hard-bitten street guys, usually came up the hard way. Now reporting became something from la di universities. People wanted to change the world. The kids went to journalism school, but you only change the world if you pick a side and you have political power. So that's how it started. And the idea would be, if you're going to change the world, you're going to tell, uh, I'm a lawyer, you're going to tell the jury all the facts if you don't have an opponent in the courtroom and you want to win a case? No. You're going to tell it the way you want to tell it in the way that benefits your side. And now what we've got is we combine that with today's cancel culture, and now it's almost like they don't even make a uh, an attempt to try to appear biased or try to appear that they're saying both sides. You know, Mark, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and and uh, Jack Dorsey at Twitter, Mark Zuckerberg at uh, Facebook, they they don't mind, uh, you know, basically uh, deplatforming people. Uh, the Hunter Biden story was not published before the election. 9% of the Biden voters said they would have considered that. Uh, and they're unabashed about it. No, we consider that a lie. We consider that wrong. Well, you know, we're not going to publish it. And we're going to keep people from publishing dangerous or harmful things. You know, not good things like we publish about oh, racial riots, so racial justice rights. That's okay, but the other kind of riots are not good, and so we're not going to give them credit. So the whole thing, Brian, is gotten to an absurd uh, point. But it all—it it all was sort of given its stamp of approval in Watergate. People still say these folks still act like they're heroes, reporting, being fearless reporters, and it's a joke. And yet yeah. we
3: have our country. Oh, uh-oh, oh, our our phone line dropped there. Okay, we're we're going to um, we're going to recall him real quick and and get him back on the line. Okay, let's let's go to break. This will be good to to reset things. But we'll um, take a break. John O'Connor, he was the lawyer that represented Deep Throat as part of the Watergate. Uh, in the Washington Post story, which was very famous. And it's not the whole story. So we're going to reconnect with him. We'll be right back. It's Overnight America, KMOX.
0: Get home fast and informed. Total Information PM starts weekdays at 4 on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX and KMOX.com.
3: All right. We are reconnected with our guest. He's a legal analyst, author, and Famously, was the lawyer for Deep Throat as part of the Watergate informant that was talking to the Washington Post, and his uh, book is called Postgate: How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's Partisan Advocacy Journalism. And John O'Connor, welcome back. Hey, good to be with you. These are important times uh, today. Yes, they are. And I wanted to um, I wanted to compare something. And I, I don't know if this is a great comparison, but I think there are some lessons in your story in Postgate and what we saw when it came to the first impeachment and then the investigation into Donald Trump. And I started to think these news organizations started to get anonymous tips from people that we later find out were completely false. But the news decided to run with them and continued to perpetrate this in a way that further along the investigation. It was just used to fuel it. I, I don't know if the news organizations were used. I don't know if they went along for the ride because it just matched what they wanted to do. But it reminded me of how information could go from one to another, at least an individual into a news organization. And in your case, your, your client into the Washington Post somehow things get mixed up. We don't know. In your case, you know what happened there. But at least in this case, I feel like there's some similarities to what went down just a few years ago.
4: Well, what I would say is you're too kind. If it were just like the game of telephone, when you go get around in a room and 15 of you whisper something in one ear and it goes all the way around and the message gets garbled. With the news organizations, it's not a game of telephone. These folks, and one of the things I proved in Postgate was that this was a deliberate, conscious choice not to do things, not to Mm -hmm. say the truth. So uh, we talk about the Hunter Biden story. That was a deliberate, admittedly a deliberate, conscious choice not to tell somebody something. That's fraud. You and I, if we sold a... Mm
3: -hmm. Oh, no, no. Oh, it dropped again. Bummer. You know, we have two numbers for him. Do we want to try the backup number? No. OK, we're going to call him back right now. Yeah. I, and I think that when it comes to the Washington Post, think about they made a movie out of this like Dustin Hoffman was in it. You know, this or this was a big movie. In fact, when I was going to school at Central Michigan, we watched this movie. You know, we were there. Uh, watching it and and using it as a way not only for journalism, but for cinematic uh, points. And I thought, man, this is used and represented in such a way and then perverted. It's interesting to hear the other side of it. And John O'Connor was the lawyer that represented the informant, went, went by deep throat. And he discovers that The Washington Post betrayed his client, covering up the truth about the scandal. I think um, hopefully we'll be able to get him back on the line here. OK, so John is back. We yeah, they, we'll yeah, go, yeah. I,
4: I'm trying to get closer to a cell tower here, but let me tell you this. I wish it were as innocent as you said, Brian, uh, but basically these folks made a deliberate conscious choice not to publish the Hunter Biden story, which probably uh, affected the election. But let me go to the Ukrainian impeachment. In the Ukrainian impeachment, the news media made the deliberate choice not to tell people that Mm -hmm. President Zelensky's chief patron was an oligarch that sold $5.6 billion, Mm -hmm. was the worst oligarch in Ukraine, the most corrupt guy which Biden is supposed to be fighting, Mm -hmm. and yet who represents Igor Kolomoisky, Zelensky's patron? Mm -hmm. None other than Hunter Biden. So it was Hunter Biden... That protected Kolomoisky, it was Joe Biden and John Kerry that got Kolomoysky foreign aid in mm-hmm. billions, which he stole. Now, I'm telling you this, I bet you everybody listening to this broadcast does not know that when President Trump was asking for an investigation of Biden's, he was looking at a very important strategic matter. Uh, Kolomoisky was very Russian-oriented, russian Uh, oligarch the whole fate of ukraine depended upon that investigation when we impeached trump we hurt our national security we shoved uh, ukraine toward russian influence and to corruption which were which biden was supposed to be fighting now that's just a little little example brian but what i'm saying is these things have consequences and yet you find i'll give you one example and i'll shut up and let you ask me a question but (laughs) let me give you another one Mm -hmm. The New York Times just had a little blurb that I cut out, and it said, well, you can't compare the social justice riots of this summer with the social justice protests of this summer, with this terrible anti-democratic riot in in D.C. Mm -hmm. Now, what they're saying is, the Post is, oh, everything that happened this summer was fine. The the riot that happened in uh, the... uh, uh washington dc was not well come on now let's call let's let's be equal let's be fair i'm not i'm not in any way holding out a brief for what happened on january 6th but come on let's let's be balanced but anyway i'll, I'll uh stop my guy try brian and well let, let me do this me, real quick a question
3: D- did- did you hear Ron DeSantis, His the you know governor of Florida, was taking some questions the other day, and they were talking about how Florida is going to be taking on some of these tech companies, and he brought up the Hunter Biden thing specifically. Did you hear that?
4: I, I read about it, and I'm 100% behind him. And what he's really saying is, look, we're giving these platforms immunity, but
3: yet yeah. they're still deplatforming people because of yeah, their well, views. Uh- yeah. yeah, let me do this. I have the clip. Do you want to hear it real quick? Because it's great. It's, sure, it's a fantastic sure. clip. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's, right, here it is.
1: You see that there's no requirement for those that are posting on the internet to have any, uh, you know, any kind of regulation or any kind of, uh, you know,
4: accurate portrayal of events. Because uh, a lot of this is, uh, you know, dri- the, the deep platforming seems to be driven by somebody who did something that provoked the platform's attention.
1: Well, I think it's been done in a, in a way that's completely unprincipled. I, they, they mentioned the Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden's story was true. Okay, we now know it was true. And the typical corporate media outlets, they just chose to ignore it. Obviously, they wanted to beat Trump. They had a They had a, a view on the election. They didn't want to give it any air. So we rely on social media to go around that, Not let corporate legacy media outlets control the discourse and let us speak. So you had the New York Post to run it and you couldn't get any traction. You couldn't get any reach on it because big tech put their thumb on the scale. So that was true. What they said at the time. Oh, it was it was it's a conspiracy or it's based on 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 hacked information. Are you kidding me? You're trying to tell me if there was hacked information that could damage me, you guys wouldn't print it. Give me a break. You can whiz on my leg, but don't tell me it's raining. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, so that's Ron DeSantis <laughs> as part of the, And that was uh, became a viral clip online. So he's saying that social media, the the role that some of these alternative media platforms would allow for you to continue to bring this out, even when it's purposely ignored or censored in mainstream media, even that. Is starting to go away, which is how dangerous is that? You know, imagine these things if you didn't have an opportunity or whatever it may be in order to tell your story and you have a story to tell. Well, the great thing about social media is it's always been a way around the legacy media. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, I think that was John again. Oh no, John. (laughs) He got to hear the whole clip. We're going to hook back up with him. But I um I hear that clip from Ron DeSantis, and it's so right that they need to make sure that hey, I'm going to point out if there was something that was leaked, you wouldn't go and find two or three sources, you would just report it on me. You wouldn't think twice about doing it. But now you have the president uh, that uh, the person that's running for president, and there's a very Terrible. I mean, real strong connections with him, and all of these other foreign entities, and giant questions about if his dad was involved, and it was completely censored and ignored because they said it was trying to manipulate it. Now that we know it is true, I know the FBI is still looking into it. All right, John O'Connor being back on the line here too. Uh, You let me let me ask you this. Um, yeah. I was wondering, the way that news is covered today and how tech companies play into the mix and things, it makes you wonder how many of these big stories actually have been censored in a way that have been purposely designed in order to try to sway public opinion. This happens a lot.
4: Well, it happens constantly. And if your viewers go on my, your audience goes into my website, postgatebook.com, I've got maybe 40 articles published and most of them are about from Russiagate starting in 17 with James Comey's firing onward. And about how the media, the main theme is the media is not reporting the truth deliberately. Mm-hmm. And there's just no doubt, like DeSantis said, there's no doubt about it. And when we talk about this, it's really just out and out fraud. What we have is the social media are now becoming part of the legacy media, and they're protected against lawsuits which is supposed to allow them the freedom to publish both sides without worrying about it. Now they're censoring. Oh, this might be disinformation. Well, they don't say that about the other guys. They just say that about the things they don't like. So they're censoring with impunity and really what they're doing, it's, it's a license to lie. You know, if I were selling you my 40 acres and you said, I want to grow alfalfa on the back, do you have water? And I said, Oh, we got plenty of water, Brian. And it turns out that I didn't tell you a little fact that there's plenty of water, but it's all toxic and you can't grow alfalfa with it. Mm -hmm. Now, I've committed fraud. These folks are deliberately not telling the truth, the American people, and they are committing fraud under the protection of our laws. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is an abridgment of free speech. Now, free speech is supposed to apply to the government as opposed to private parties. But once a private party becomes a state actor, so big and protected by our laws, the case law says that those people also should protect free speech. Is it happening? No, it's not. And it's the biggest danger to our democracy, because Mm -hmm. uh, the founders said that the real remedy for mobocracy and emotional factionalism is a free and fair press. But we don't have that. They're part of the mob now. So we, you talk about a mob. People love to talk about this mob on the Capitol. You tell me, Brian, what's more of a mob, the 200 people who for a few hours did this thing, which I don't like at all, or the mob that for the last years have been just all saying, talking in unison, stuff that isn't true. That's mm. mob. Oh, let's let's impeach Trump on about three minutes' notice. That's mob psychology. There's no deliberation. There's no sense of argument. Everyone's called a liar who's on the other side. That's mob mm. thinking. They might as well have yeah. tars, tar and feather. And wow. so it's very disturbing, very disturbing.
3: Yeah. And one other thing with your book, Postgate, because I mean, this does go back and you get to see these things behind the scenes and how it played out with your client who you later represented, uh, was known as Deep Throat to the Washington Post. I, I wonder when people say, man, I wish we can go back a couple of decades when journalists were journalists and none of this stuff sort of happened. But uh, according to the things you've discovered, this has been going on for a long time. It's been going on since 72. It turned it did, a, did a U-turn in Watergate,
4: and uh, the whole no- nature changed, and it's gone on steroids since then. That was just the beginning Uh, And most people, even today, don't realize how defrauded they were during Watergate. They're starting to catch on now. But that's where it started, and uh, that's where the journalists got their power. They still are going out to lunch on Watergate, saying, gosh, we're fair, we're great investigative journalists. Well, once you say that their great triumph, Watergate, was a fraud, it sort of takes a little away from their claims of this superiority, we're always right. No, they're not. They're usually wrong, and they're usually now deliberately wrong, and they're they're stacking the deck.
3: Yeah, if uh, people wanted to look up your book Postgate and maybe you online, where can they look? I would go to postgatebook dot com. Postgatebook dot com. The book can be ordered on any of the uh,
4: uh, various sites, but postgatebook dot com will get you some of these articles that I published. I'm mm-hmm. coming out with a. Uh, a podcast soon, too, about Watergate, but the book is very important, and it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's a real romp, and it'll, it'll, it'll be fun for the readers.
3: Learn a thing or two with uh, John O'Connor, a legal analyst, author, and also a lawyer that later represented Deep Throat. And The uh, book is called Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's Partisan Advocacy Journalism. Thank you for coming on to KMOX. Brian, great, and sorry about my cell phone. Take care. Now. Okay? <laughs> we we, we may do. It's good. We're all good. Very insightful. It goes to show you this. Uh, you can go back and look, and once you have the foresight of having two sides, you can realize that there wasn't always the, the most uh, honest things going on behind the scenes, and I'm sure that happens constantly, and I think there's a lot of evidence of that, too. So he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. Joining us after the break... Is a software engineer, a big tech analyst, and we're gonna talk about the chaos on Wall Street. Still, we're looking at people losing a lot of money because of what happened with GameStop. So uh, what's going on with the technology behind it and what's driving it and where is it going? Andrew Bledge joins us right after the break on overnight America KMOX.
0: Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News Radio 1120, KMOX, the voice of the
3: Cardinals. And joining us now is a software engineer, also a big tech analyst, Andrew Bledge. Thank you for coming on to KMOX. Hey,
5: thanks for having me, Ryan. Do
3: you find times like these when it comes to investing exciting?
5: Well, um, I-, I think the last week has been a little maybe unnecessarily um, exciting. Um, you know, over the last 12 months, we've seen the explosion of uh, retail investing uh, platforms like Robinhood. So you have a lot, a lot of new participants in the market. Um, you have forums like Reddit, where retail investors are getting together and strategizing uh, together, pooling their money. Mm -hmm. And um, it is an exciting time uh, to be uh, a participant in the stock market, to say the very least.
3: Yeah, it seems like depending on whose perspective you're looking at it, it's exciting or not. So if you're someone that is uh, an investor that just wants to learn how the markets work or you have a hundred dollars you want to throw in, or you just like the fun of seeing something in the news like GameStop or AMC and you think, oh, this would be fun to just like, you know, buy a couple of stock just to see what happens. Then you have those serious investors that are trying to look at this as a trend to make a lot of money off of. And then you have on the other side these hedge funds that are so worried that they're trying to make regulatory changes. It's kind of wild all the way around in everything that's happening here. And I was kind of curious, as a mar- since you're a market observer and, and you've paid attention to these sort of things, are you worried that this is going to be a bigger trend in the future when it comes to the stock market? Is, is this a concern for everyone, or is this kind of uh, you know a, a little blip right now that we don't have to worry about in the long term?
5: Well, I, I think I think it is something that we need to pay attention to, and the the GameStop and AMC fiasco really that unfolded last week really highlighted um, you know, much in the way that Facebook deplatforming the President of the United States, Robin Hood shutting out retail investors from being able to uh, buy into stocks, really highlighted that you know, these platforms have a tremendous amount of power. So as far as your dollar and cents long term, um, you know, participating in the market, doing your research, that's all well and good. But the platforms themselves that we use as retail investors to participate, that's something that I think needs some uh, needs some serious regulatory uh, analysis. Because w- when you look under the hood, Robinhood or companies like Robinhood, they don't make money off of you know, us paying them to trade. They make money uh, by taking our trading data and selling it to hedge funds and the Wall Street establishment. Right. So. I think, you know, dollars and cents wise, we're going to be okay. But if one thing the last week has highlighted that we certainly need to look into regulating these new uh, these new technology platforms that have enabled millions uh, in the last 12 months to uh, get involved.
3: Huh. That's interesting. I didn't realize that with these apps, their bread and butter had more to do with the data than the actual trading, because. For the longest time, you had Bernie Sanders, for example, when he was proposing ways to raise money. He said, we're going to charge a penny tax on every trade and we'd raise billions of dollars for the economy that way. Um, And it it sounded appealing to him and some people that supported Bernie Sanders. And they said, oh, this is a great way to do it. And I thought, well, that's got to be how apps like Robinhood and them make all their money. Just, you know, a little bit of percentage of whatever trade is going through. And then when you have a big bulk of trades, it uh, adds up over the long haul. But. When it comes to the data collection, so Robinhood is no different than some of these other social media companies where that's how they make their money.
5: Exactly. And that's been the fundamental shift, really. So, you know, wind back 10 years, you would be paying a commission uh, to TD Ameritrade or another platform for them doing the trading or executing the trade on your behalf. But the thing that Robinhood brought to the market was saying, look, everybody can trade for free, but we're going to put an asterisk next to the free and really what they're doing as you said they're collecting you know collecting all of the uh, trading data that their users 13 million plus are doing and they're selling it to hedge funds and other wall street firms and it's not small amounts we're talking on the order of upwards of a billion dollars a year now Robinhood's business uh, has grown and just selling our uh, selling our data wow so when
3: we start to look at this a little bit more and a little bit deeper some people are saying that this is also an indication that The technology of how we invest is going to change in the future, and really how the financial structure is used in the future. I've had other people on to talk about the technology of the blockchain and how people are using cryptocurrencies and how that works, a decentralized finance. And they said that even if you don't buy into a Bitcoin per se or any of these other ones that people talk about, they mentioned that a lot of the technology is a good idea. And then these big financial institutions are moving towards that finding ways to use it and he said your bank might even use it on the background and you don't even know about it so i'm curious what you think the future is for other means of finance so like decentralized finance cryptocurrencies things like that that people are using right now
5: yeah and it's a really exciting time on that front too because we're very early on in that kind of revolution right so if, for example, today, if I go to Robinhood or any other broker and I uh, make a trade for uh, buying some GameStop shares, you know, it's it's a uh, it's a popular stock this moment. Um, what happens is it actually takes two or three days to settle that trade because there are all these intermediaries in the middle who have to sign off on the books and make sure that you know one plus one is ultimately two. The exciting part about uh, you know the cryptocurrencies, but fundamentally the blockchain technology is there's potentially the ability for us to rewire a lot of how our markets work so, um, so that they were able to settle these trades quicker. Um, there's more transparency about who is you know, moving money from A to B, the transfer of ownership of, uh, of the shares itself. Um, it, it really is the dawn of, of a new, new age. And there are a lot of Wall Street banks that are already experimenting uh, between each other. Uh, I think J.P. Morgan uh, and a, and a bank in New Zealand actually uh, experimented using uh, blockchain technology to settle trades between their two institutions, right? And just to give an idea of you know, what this could mean uh, from you know a practical standpoint, instead of waiting two or three days to settle these trades, we could maybe do it in ten minutes, right? So it's a, it's a you know there's a lot of opportunity here, um, you know, for for new technology, new solutions, and a more a, a fairer uh, market experience for everybody
3: yeah, and that 's the interesting word that people are using is fairer and joining us here is andrew Bledge. he 's a software engineer and a big tech analyst, and when they use that word fair that 's a lot of what you hear online when you go to the you know the reddit forums and social media when they 're talking about these flurries of buys let 's all buy gamestop or you know people get into the spirit and they go and they they buy buy buy, and it drives the price up or something like that. What I normally see is that when there is talk about regulation, as in they want to adjust so things like this are either discouraged or can't happen. They don't like the fluctuations, things like that. Normally on the other side, those that have said, Hey, this is something that should be allowed. Um, But we're just kind of we're closed out of it. You know, we're the little guy. Um, The big guys can do these sort of things. But we get, uh, you know, we get stomped on when it happens to us. And normally they want to push back. They want to find other ways to try to take advantage of the system that was taken advantage by other people, but not them. And they use that term fair. It's got to be a more fair system. Is something like uh, the blockchain, is that ultimately the fairest system or is that not the right way to look at it?
5: So I would say blockchain is uh, more of a solution for transparency um, about you know being able to settle transactions between two parties uh, in a fair and quick and quick way. A lot of the fairness discussion, um, at least coming from uh, forums like Reddit, is that you know you or I as an individual retail investor, um, you know we we don't have a lot of capital maybe to put into the market versus somebody. Like a, a J.P. Morgan or, or a, a big hedge fund, right? So typically, when those fr- when those firms take positions, whether they're short positions or uh, any type of position, really in a stock, they have the ability to uh, to move the market sentiment as well as the price of the of the stock that they're uh, that they're manipulating, mm-hmm. right? Whereas as a retail investor, we don't really have that that pool, so we're at you're kind of at the bequest of the establishment about What's going to happen with uh, this stock? So one of the really interesting things that happened last week was all these Reddit users got together and formed like a you know, quasi hedge fund where they took the other they they took the other position uh, other side of the short position uh, on GameStop and you know it's it, it kind of really uh, you know really highlighted that the system maybe isn't as fair as and free as we thought it was. Right, because when J.P. Morgan makes a short position uh, uh, on a on a stock, um, you wouldn't see uh, you know some intermediary come in and say, "Look, you can't participate in this market," which is what happened with users on apps like Robinhood. They're literally they're prevented from participating in the free market, and I think that is like the whole question of, of fairness boils down to: Is it a free market for everybody, or is it a free market for some?
3: Right. There's a couple of different uh, things that I saw online that I thought were good points. And Mr. Wonderful, who is on Shark Tank, and he was on CNBC this weekend. And uh, for some reason, his name, I'm I'm blanking on it right now. But he went on there and said, it shouldn't be up to regulatory commissions and people to say, I'm not allowed to invest in something because you're afraid I'm going to lose money. On it, He said no one should be stepped in and told that um, because that's some of the arguments that are being made. They said, you know, we're talking about uneducated investors that don't understand the risks. So we need to, for their own good, make sure that they're not allowed to do this sort of thing. And he said that shouldn't be how the market steps in to prevent someone from their own good. Um, In fact, something else I wanted to bring up, and I don't understand how this works, and maybe you could explain it to me. So when a hedge fund shorts a stock... And then this whole Reddit thing happens. And I, I kind of understand how this works. I understand that if the stock goes up, then the hedge fund could lose a lot of money based on how much the stock goes up. What happens to the money they lose? So, like, let's say before they were hoping for this giant windfall of shorting it, that game stock was going to go down. Instead, it goes up and they lose money. They have to buy in that sense at a higher rate. What, so what do they buy into?
5: well so the the whole idea of the short position comes from the fact that they've borrowed uh, maybe a hundred shares of gamestop and, and sold it and are betting that they can buy it back in a little bit of time maybe a week or a month at a lower price and that's how much money they're going to make but the problem is when you when you do that the person you're borrowing the stock from they're going to expect uh, some repayment and then you know kind of like when you have a mortgage you have to make an interest payment on, on the on the amount of money you borrowed You know, hedge funds have to do the same thing, and that amount of uh, collateral, or usually required, is actually—it's typically tied to the gap between how much you know it was, how much the market price was when that short position was started, and what it is today. So you could imagine if you graph out as that GameStop price went from ten to fifty to hundred to four hundred, that all of a sudden these hedge funds are looking at this huge. Uh, you know, giant pit of uh, of money that they no longer they no longer had. So they had to go get bailouts from other hedge funds, or they had to you know close other positions in order to pay off uh, these uh, these short positions that were essentially draining uh, draining them towards insolvency.
3: I see. So essentially, they were buying at 400 and making the difference up from when they made that position or whatever it would be, um, and then. Essentially, the money goes to GameStop, and then when all of the Reddit users start selling, the value of that stock still high. It's basically distributed among those who are selling high right at that point.
5: Right, and that was the fundamental problem that with Robinhood's approach. Instead of Robinhood, you know, saying um, you know you can't buy or sell this stock, or instead of the exchange saying you can't buy or sell this stock, they said you can sell it, which means that the hedge funds only have a, a, a certain amount that they can lose. Now, there's a ceiling to it. So you can sell it, but you can't buy it. And Reddit's whole strategy, all these people, they went in and bought all these shares to push the price higher and higher and higher to put more and more pressure on the hedge funds to uh, close those short positions. When you take away that upward momentum in the price, it's fundamentally unfair because hedge funds were able to get out of those positions. And then you left the, the retail investors who were buying into this thinking that, you know, they wouldn't be prevented from participating, which is a fair assumption. They were the ones left... Uh, holding the bag.
3: Right. So you're someone that pays attention to the markets. You're a uh, big tech analyst. You're a software engineer. People wanted to look you up. Where can they find you?
5: I'm primarily on Twitter. So at Andrew Bledge, B-L-E-J-D-E. I tweet about finance and technology and then maybe a little sports uh, sprinkled in there.
3: (laughs) Finance and technology is an important combination. There used to be that old PSA in the nineties that was science and technology. And I used to be able to sing that entire song because they played that PSA on a loop for like five years. And now it's finance and technology that all the kids are into because that's where a lot of the, the fun is when you go online and you read about these things. Andrew Bledge, B-L-E-J-D-E. You can look him up on Twitter. Thank you so much for coming on to KMOX.
5: Uh, thanks for your time, Ryan. Appreciate it.
3: And Andrew joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line on Overnight America KMOX.
0: Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. MichaelsFlooringOutlet.com.
3: What a crazy story. I, I know that when there are news stories about this, I've been having a good time reading about it. And I've learned a lot about the stock market in that sense. I saw this one story on the New York Post. Reddit trader behind GameStop rally says he lost 13 million in one day. How's that possible? <laughs> A Reddit user who helped spark the explosive rally in GameStop uh, lost more than 13 million uh, as the shares crashed. He had 50,000 shares of GameStop and was along 500 call options. I don't know how the call options work. The value of a stake dropped to $13.6 million on Tuesday as share prices tumbled 60%, roughly $5.2 million in last Monday. And that was expected. I don't know what he was expecting. Did he think everyone was going to hold on to these things forever? Did they think that, that GameStop was going to be a Fortune 500 company forever? Yeah, right. Uh, there was no indication that any of that was going to happen. I feel like, if anything... They realized that the roller coaster was going up, and they knew that after uh, they call out the short that was happening from that hedge fund, that that would be the time to get out. I don't know why he didn't get out. Maybe it was because whatever they used to trade weren't allowing it. Uh, I know David Portnoy, who is someone that is on uh, Twitter, and he's been doing so many great things with it. Uh, He's been just an advocate. So many different restaurants, including here in St. Louis. He was someone that got burnt big time in something like this. I think he said $700,000 he lost, and a lot of it had to do with not being able to use and sell the way they were because they were holding and freezing things. It was terrible. That shouldn't have happened. I feel like these class action lawsuits are going to really show you the flaws when it comes to some of these trading sites when they don't do your will. All right, another hour of Overnight America coming up, and there was a story on the BBC about the atrocities going on in China. If you haven't heard this story yet, I'm telling you, it's adult. So keep that in mind. It's Overnight America, KMOX.
0: Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it
1: is essential that we conclusively... Sports.
2: That clock at four. Donchich.